I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today, we will be learning Divrei Hayamim Chronicles, Volume 1, Final Chapter, Chapter 29. Most of the ideas in today's class are based on the teachings of Rav Shamshom Rafal Hirsch and Rav Moshe Eisenman in his magnificent commentary in the Art Scroll Divrei Hayamim. Chapter 29 continues the momentous climax of David's life as he puts the kingdom he has built and the holy temple he has not built into Shlomo's young hands. Having given over his charge to Shlomo, David now turns to address the nation gathered in Jerusalem. Verse 1, And then David the king said to the whole of those gathered there, Shlomo b'ni echad, My son Shlomo is only one, and God has chosen him, although he is so young and tender. And the work is great. For this palace is not for man, it is for Hashem, God. That is a whole different standard. Verses 2 through 5. With all my strength I have prepared for the house of God. Hazahav lazahav, v'hakesef lakesef, v'hanechoshes lanechoshes, habarzel labarzel v'ha'etzim la'etzim. The gold for the gold, the silver for the silver, the copper for the copper, the iron for the iron, and the wood for the wood, and valuable shoham stones, and stones for setting, puch stones, and tapestry stones, and every precious stone, plus enormous quantities of marble. Moreover, because I so wish for the house of God, my personal treasures of gold and silver I have contributed beyond what I previously prepared for the Bayis HaKodesh, the sacred house. Shloshes alafim kikare zahav mizahav ofir. Three thousand kikar talents of gold from ofir. And seven thousand kikar of refined silver to overlay the walls of the chambers. La zahav la zahav, velakesef lakesef. Gold for the gold, silver for the silver, and for all the work of the artisans. Umimis nadev lemalos yado hayom hazeh. And who will donate, who will fill his hand this day for God? You couldn't have missed David's emphasis on the preparation of the building materials, gold for where gold is required, silver for silver, and so on. In the Collected Writings, Volume 3, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch analyzes the inherent qualities of the materials used in the construction of the sanctuary and its vessels, and the ideas that those qualities inspire in us. Remember, the Mikdash is built according to the same template as a human being, so we're expected to be able to draw parallels from the Mikdash ideal to our own aspirations and inspiration. With respect to the metals, gold, silver, copper, and iron. Apart from their practical use, we find metals mentioned in scripture metaphorically, used in three distinct contexts with reference to a. their material density, b. their material value, and c. the metallurgical properties. Qualities of strength, invincibility, and indestructibility are generally equated with iron and with copper. In general, the scripture uses the metaphors of iron and copper to describe qualities of firmness and strength. One telling example of the symbolic character of the whole structure is the commandment that no stone in the sanctuary may be cut or even touched with an iron tool. Every iron tool is suggestive of the sword, whereas the purpose of the sanctuary in general, and of the altar in particular, is to bring peace. Elsewhere we find metals used as symbols with regard to their value. Gold and silver are considered the most precious of all material possessions, most eagerly sought by man. Thus, Yeshaya in chapter 60 was promised a betterment for his people with these words, For copper I will bring gold, for iron I will bring silver, 
for wood, copper, and for stones, iron. These metals are also used in the verses to reflect the high regard for spiritual values. For example, in Mishlei chapter 2, if you seek it, wisdom, as silver, and search for it as hidden treasures. The most frequent use of metals as metaphors relates to the metallurgical properties. The more precious metals are found in pure, unalloyed state. They often have mixtures of non-precious ores and residues, however. Even in this impure state, those metals can be refined. The refining process, in which pure is separated from non-precious or non-recoverable metals, is affected by means of fire. Moreover, alloys of precious and non-precious metals produce many grades of purity and impurity. And so metals represent the best symbols for all things that are good and true in any mixture with elements of evil or falsehood. Metals in general combine malleability with firmness. Under the impact of a hammer or fire, they can adapt to any desired shape, but once they've assumed the new shape, they will maintain it persistently, yielding only to destructive power of a superior force. Given all these facts, we understand better why metals lend themselves so well for use as metaphors symbolizing what our moral attitude should be. If we put all of this together, we find copper corresponds to nature in an unrefined state. Silver corresponds to the purity and goodness that can be acquired by refining. And gold corresponds to the pristine, perfect purity and goodness that can withstand any test. This thought, ki lo adam habira, ki la Hashem elokim, is a yisod, it's a fundamental. In his commentary on Shemos chapter 25, Ralbag divides the issues of the mitzvah of building the Beis HaMikdash into 12 parts. And the Shorish HaRishon, the very first of them, is that the Mikdash must be built l'shem shamayim, for God's sake, not for our own fame, opportunity, or to reach our own spiritual goals. We do this work for God. David says, Lazahav, lazahav, for the gold, the gold, for the silver, the silver, for the copper, the copper, for the iron, the iron, for the wood, the wood. Wherever gold is needed, I can provide it. If silver is needed, I can provide silver. As with so many projects, the physical materials are the easy part. But this is a base hamikdash, a palace of kedusha, holiness. That requires a different sort of spiritual material. It requires holiness. It requires Nidvas Lev Ha'am, the generous heart of the nation. When the people give their love and generosity, their desire to give to Hashem, that's where the Kedusha will rest. That's where the Shechina, God's tangible presence, will feel welcome. And so, me misnadev. David makes it clear, there's already enough stored up to do the job. The one thing David cannot provide is the hearts of the people. That's up to them. Are they ready for it? Not because David needs their help, but because for this to be a real base hamikdash, it has to be valuable to them. They need to help. Verses 6, 7, and 8. So the leaders of the families, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the officers of the thousands and the hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work donated. And they gave for the construction of the house of God 5,000 talents of gold and 10,000 adarkonim, those are coins, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of copper, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had stones donated them to the treasury of the house of Hashem through Yechiel the Gershonite. Verse 9, al hisnatvam. And the people rejoiced that they had contributed. 
Ki belev shalim hisnadvu Hashem, because with a whole heart they had contributed to God. Vekam David hamelech somach simcha gedola, and also King David rejoiced with great happiness. There is a lot of joy in this verse, but what's the cause? Ki because belev shalim hisnadvu Hashem, with a whole heart they contributed to God. This is not a given. It's an achievement. What is all this simcha, this joy? Rav Hirsch in his commentary in Parshas Baha'alosacha says, Let us note that simcha need not necessarily denote a mood of elation brought about by some special occasion. Rather, it also includes the inner mood of serenity and good cheer, which should always be the keynote of our lives. And on Tehillim chapter 9, Rav Hirsch writes, Sameach, related to tzameach, organic growth, is the sensation of inner expansion, of progress in emotional development, of that serenity and mood of joy that can always ever be the portion of the pure in heart, and which the righteous always seek to attain and to preserve. Simcha is a frame of mind that is essential for the recognition of all that is good and true. As the Gemara in Shabbos says, Ein shechina shora ela mitoch simcha shal mitzvah. The nearness of God is to be one not by sorrow and indolence, nor by jest and levity, but by the joy that comes from duty fulfilled. The sages and gracious rabbis say, there is a very special joy to doing something right because it's right. The generosity of heart, the desire to be a giver, that was the mitzvah that the people were called upon for here, and they succeeded in attaining that level. That generates simcha, joy. Or more succinctly, I have often heard Rav Noach Orlowick quote his Rebbe, Rav Simcha Wasserman, as saying, Simcha is a function of purpose. There is actually a direct relationship between being a giver and Simcha, the deep inner joy of growing bigger within. When Hashem first created Adam and Chava, the Torah says, Vayavarech osam Elohim, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and make your mark upon it, etc. Rav Hirsch comments there, God blessed both of them, and he made both of them responsible for the fulfillment of mankind's mission. So the bracha is not just getting blessings from God. The bracha is the mission itself. The tools and resources which God gives us, money, time, health, energy, intellect, strength, food, material goods, these are all provisions required in order to do the job. The bracha is the mission. The vast majority of people approach their God saying, Barchini, bless me. But the Jew knows that whatever he has already been given, the highlights and pleasures, as well as the sorrows, the shadows of personal life, these all are the blessing. What motivates the Jew is not to receive blessing, but to dispense blessing. And thus a hundred times a day he says to God, Baruch atah Hashem. Hashem, may you be blessed. But how can a limited human being ever give to Hashem? After all, God is the source of everything. For a beautiful synthesis of much of what I'm about to say, I would refer you to the Hirsch Haggadah in the commentary on the word Baruch. God's words create reality. Vayomer Elohim Yehior, Vayehior. And God said, there will be light, and there was light. But there is a whole category of God's creation which he has left hanging, so to speak, asher bara elokim la'asos, what God created to be done. All of those words in the Torah that are the mitzvos, we actualize Hashem's will into reality when we do them. 
Implementing God's will makes us a source of blessing to Hashem, fulfillers of His mission, so to speak. This is based on a statement of the Sforno, who defines blessing God as Yisma Hashem b'ma'asav, God taking pleasure or happiness from His creations. To say, Baruch Ato Hashem, may your will be implemented through me, God, means that my effort is no longer for my own sake, but for Hashem's. And when that is so, I no longer worry about having enough strength, money, or resources to do the job. That's all Hashem's problem. He'll take care of it. God knows a man's strength. God's spirit animates him. Whether one has much or little is immaterial. That does not determine the measure of his blessing, nor even whether his exertions have been successful. Success, too, is God's, not our own. May God be blessed through me. May God's will be implemented through me. The great power, serenity, and joy with which this idea infuses the heart of the Jew is beyond compare. As long as you can say that you've dedicated yourself to fulfilling God's will, then even when God gathers you to Him in the last moment of your life, He will leave you fulfilled and serenely contented in the knowledge that you have lived not in order to receive blessing, but in order to give blessing. This is what David HaMelech taught his nation on the day of the great gathering in Jerusalem. La zahav, la zahav, vila kesef, la kesef. It's not the gold and the silver that's your gift. It's your heart, the desire to do for God. It is the life of a Jew. It is the heritage bequeathed to us by our ancestors. Verses 10 through 20. The bracha that David says here goes way beyond our bandwidth. But let's notice some key elements, starting with the actual format of the blessing. The blessings with which we are familiar all begin like this. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu melech ha'olam. Blessed are you, Hashem, our Lord, King of the universe. Followed by text specific to the context of the blessing. So, for example, a bracha may conclude, Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz, who brings forth bread from the earth before we eat bread, or Asher Kedishanu b'mitzvosav v'tzivanu lehadlik ner shal Shabbos, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to light the Shabbos candles when we light the Shabbos candles. But David's blessing here has a different format. Instead of the introductory words that we're accustomed to, he says, Baruch ato Hashem Elokei Yisrael avinu me'olam ve'ad olam. Blessed are you, Hashem, that part's the same, Lord of Yisrael, our Father, from forever and until forever. And then David follows that with the body of the prayer. Why this new format? Raul Bagh reminds us that this formula is used for all blessings made in the Holy Temple. In a few places in the Talmud, Masachas Brachos, Masachas Sota, our sages tell us that the way that Brachos, blessings, are said in the Holy Temple is different than in the outside world. In the temple, this format of Davids is used at the start of any blessing. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokei Yisrael avinu me'olam ve'adolam, followed by the body of the blessing. The other major difference is that Amen is never said in response to a blessing in the holy temple. Rather, a Hallel, a blessing of praise reflecting God's greatness, is the correct response. And therefore here, in verse 20, David prompts the people to respond to his Beis HaMikdash blessing, not with Amen, but with a bracha of Hallel. And David said to all the congregation, Bless now Hashem your God. And all the gathered blessed to Hashem, God of their fathers. 
In the temple service, the more typical response to a bracha instead of amen was the blessing, Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuso Leolam Va'ed. The name of God's glorious kingdom is blessed for all time, a format which you may have noticed on Yom Kippur when we include a description of temple service in our prayers. And why is the patriarch Yaakov, in his glorious name Yisrael, specifically associated with the blessing to Hashem in the Holy Temple? While each of our forefathers had a special connection to Har HaMoriah, the Temple Mount, it was Yaakov who first saw it as the place of the Beis Hashem, the house of God. Verses 10 through 20 comprise David's song of praise and gratitude to Hashem at the moment when he merited to see his life work successful and pleasing to God. The foundations for the Beis HaMikdash were laid, his son Shlomo coronated, the nation educated to serve God wholeheartedly. Lecho Hashem Yours, Hashem, is the greatness, the strength, the glory, the triumph, and the splendor. Yours is all that is in the heavens and on earth. Yours, Hashem, is the kingdom, and you are the one who is exalted over every leader. Wealth and honor come from you, for you rule over all. In your hand is power and might, and it is your hand to make anyone great and strong. And now, our God, we thank you and praise your majestic name. For who am I and who are my people that we should have managed to muster the strength to make a contribution like this? We all know it's really from you. And we have given you only what we have received from your hand. Hashem, our God, all this vast store which we have prepared to build a house for you, for your holy name, it's from your hand, and all belongs to you. And I know, my God, that you know what is within my heart, and you desire integrity. I have contributed all this with integrity of my heart. And now your people who are present here, I have seen that they too joyously contribute for you. Hashem Elokei Avraham Yitzchak v'Yisrael Avosenu. God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, our forefathers, Shamra Zos Leolam, please, Preserve this forever, so that it may form the thoughts of the hearts of your people, and set firmly their hearts toward you. What is it that David's asking Hashem to preserve forever? It's the greatness achieved by the Jewish nation today, the wholehearted leap upward to bringing blessing to God's name rather than seeking to receive. Rav Yisrael Reisman quotes Rav Avram Pam Zatzal, as saying that the Jewish strength of giving financially to support communal institutions began with the contributions first to the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and later to the Beis HaMikdash under David's leadership. Its continuance forever is in part due to this earnest prayer of David's, Shamra Zos Leolam, please God, preserve this greatness forever. Verse 22, And they ate and drank with awareness of Hashem's presence on that day, Besimcha Gedola, with great joy, and they crowned Shlomo son of David a second time and anointed him as prince to Hashem and anointed Sadok as the Kohen Gadol. And Shlomo sat on the throne and he was successful and God greatly elevated Shlomo in the eyes of all Israel and gave him royal splendor such as never been seen. Our sages say that it was within hours or days of this momentous gathering that David passed away. Verse 27. V'david ben Yishai, Molach al-Kol Yisrael, and David son of Yishai reigned over all of Israel. He reigned for 40 years, 
In Hebron, he reigned for seven years, and in Yerushalayim, he reigned for 33 years. Vayomas Beseva Tova, and he died in a good old age, full of days, wealth, and honor, and his son Shlomo ruled after him. And the narratives of the events of King David from beginning to end are recorded in the records of Shmuel Haro'eh, Shmuel the seer, and in the records of the prophet Nasan, the records of God HaChoseh, the visionary. Together with everything about his kingdom and all his might, both the good times and the times of sorrow, which passed over him and over Israel and over all the kingdoms of the lands. We have come inconceivably far. What began with an individual life, an isolated family, became a society a fledgling nation. It grew under David's care and his superhuman dedication into the first kingdom of God in Israel, and it will someday fill the earth, says the prophet Yeshaya, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Yeshai, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of insight, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of God. Until then, writes Rav Hirsch in the Collected Writings, we are called to strive for spiritual unity in our galus, our exile. Behold, Barhu Hashem, keep furthering and blessing the work which God has entrusted into your hands. Remain faithful to your vocation, wherever you may be. Remain Avde Hashem, all of you, together, servants of God. Keep dedicating yourselves with all your strength, you who remain waiting in the house of God, waiting through the nights of the exile, from east to west, south to north. In unison, lift your hands to the holy center uniting all of us. Zion, the Beis HaMikdash, sanctuary of Torah, for the sake of which God fashions heaven and earth. Yivorechecho Hashem mitzion, osei shamayim va'aretz. David writes in chapter 61 of Tehillim, olamim. I shall dwell in your tent forever. The Talmud Yerushalmi in Shkalim asks, Did David imagine he would really live forever? Rather, David said, May I merit that my words be recited in the synagogues and houses of study forever. It's good, so near the edge of forever, to know that his prayers have been answered. Thank you so much for letting me learn together with you. Le'ilu'i Nishmas, Rose Foreman, Rachel, Bas Arya and Rachel Zeitlin.